It's just so good to see each of you tonight. I, I know that you probably worked a long day, but this is a good place that we're in, and we have a word from the Lord for us tonight. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a very powerful portion of Scripture this evening, and the Lord wants to teach us. Jesus was called rabbi, was he not? He was called the teacher, and he is still the teacher, and we have a teacher now. Our, our Lord Jesus, of course, is in heaven, ascended, reigning. We talked about that Sunday a little bit, but we have a teacher, and he's, he's close to you. He's within you if you're a child of God. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and so we, we have a teacher. His name is Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to talk a few minutes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, reading a few verses here, beginning in verse 1. We're going to talk about lessons from the past. We, we begin reading in the first verse of chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It reads like this. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All, notice this, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. He's getting to something here, isn't he? It's interesting. All, all. Maybe you haven't picked up on that before. All of them. All of them came out. Now, we've come out. You know, we've come out of darkness. We've come out of darkness. We've come in to the marvelous light. But it's not the way you start the race. This is what Paul's getting at. Remember what, last week? Now, we know there's no chapter divisions in the original text. So we ended chapter 9, and what did it say? All, all, the, all the runners run a race. All the runners run. One receives a prod. Run in such a way as you may obtain the race, that you may win, that you may not be a castaway, that you may not be disqualified. Paul dealt with that. All of them came out. But did all of them go in? All of them came out of Egypt. But did all of them go into the promised land? Think about it. Think about it. A whole generation, millions, came out. Two went in. All. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with most of them, most of them, God was not well pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. What a message. Notice this. Now, the message tonight is lessons from the past. And here's where we get that. Verse 6. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. That's the Exodus 32 situation. Some of them were naked. Some of them were, were committing great immorality. 
Verse 8, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples that they were written for our admonition, he says, upon whom the ends of the ages have come, the church age. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Lessons from the past. The Apostle Paul is appealing to the Corinthians. And he's saying to them, in a sense, I want to teach you something. I want you to be teachable. I want you to learn a lesson. Because, in a sense, he's saying to the Corinthians, I'm concerned that what happened to old ancient Israel, the same thing could happen to you. And so Paul goes back the centuries and he draws out of several examples of things that happened to ancient Israel who had come out of Egypt while in the wilderness they wandered around for 40 years and then most of them, as it says, were not pleased with them. The problem with the Corinthians is that many of them had the idea that sin didn't matter. There's a lot of people, a lot, in our American Christianity scene that think that as long as you're saved, that after salvation, somehow sin doesn't matter, like sin doesn't affect you as a child of God like it does a lost person. That is not true. So a lot of the Corinthians thought that they could had the idea that they could sin all they wanted while still maintaining a claim upon Christ. They were baptized in water. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper. And they thought everything was, was all right. So we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at three things in this text of Scripture. The Word of God is going to... The Word of God. How I many you know the Word of God is the highest wisdom... We can learn the greatest lessons from this word of God right here. The enemy stole in this from the schools. Used to read the Bible in school. I can remember when I was in school. Early on, they'd read the Bible. Some of you are old enough to remember that. You know, the entrance of our word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Timothy was taught the word of God, which made him wise unto salvation. And so if we want to really know how to live for God, if we want to know what pleases God, we need to get in this book right here because this book is as, rele as, as relevant as it was the day it was penned. This book is, talks about our past, our present, and it shows us what the true future is. It's an eternal book. The first thing I want you to see quickly is this. I want to look at some blessings of the past, a reminder of what God did to ancient Israel. And I want, to, I want us to also think about the things which God has done in our lives. We have been blessed, blessed, blessed. Every day that we live, we are blessed. 
Ephesians talks about those blessings. We're blessed with what? All spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You are blessed this evening. Some of the most blessed people in the world are modern-day Christians because we have all this past history to, to draw upon. We have so many spiritual resources to dwell upon. I mean, there's, there's ancient Christians and children of God that would give everything just to have a Bible like I hold. They never had this. They had a little, little portion of Scripture, maybe a little scroll that the pastor would read, but they never have what we have. We're so blessed tonight, aren't we? Well, I want you to know that ancient Israel was blessed. Past blessings. Past blessings are mentioned in the first four verses. He talks about the things that they experienced. All, they all did this. They all did this. So Paul's going back to the wilderness. And Paul's going back to the people of God that they came out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord with a, with a man, with a rod in his hand, and the power of God with him brought to their knees the greatest nation on the face of the earth in that day. The great Egyptian empire. Let my people go. And finally, after ten plagues, ten incredible miracles, ten incredible judgment, God brought them across the Red Sea. God brought his people out, slayed the armies of Pharaoh, and then they came out. In these few verses, one of the, what we see is we see how God loved them. We see how God cared for them. God, God gave them a pillar of fire by night. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day. It says in the text, they were, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does that mean? That means that they were a part of God's covenant people. They, were, they experienced all of this. Moses was their leader. They, they really came across the Red Sea. They really experienced redemption through blood. They were immersed in it. They were completely immersed in God's covenant relationship with ancient Israel. They were, in a sense, totally involved in what God was doing. They were, all of these millions of people were totally immersed, totally involved in all that God was doing. They were there. They experienced every bit of that. In a sense, the Lord is saying to the Corinthians, just like ancient Israel was baptized in the cloud and in the sea, they were totally immersed in God's redemptive work. He's saying to the Corinthians, so you are totally immersed in the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. You've experienced him. We read back in the first chapter, what did it say? It said in the second verse, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, and those who in every place call on the name of our Lord, uh, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both ours and theirs. These are people that met God, just like Israel. They knew God. Shedding of blood. God moved in them. Moses was their leader. Think of the goodness of God. God provided them a leader. God provided them direction. God provided them a path. God was with them in difficulty. God provided uh, his presence. God provided their needs. Shoes didn't even wear out. I had somebody give me some shoes the other day. 
I thought, these are the best shoes I've ever had. Hallelujah. Well, God gave Israel some shoes that never wore out. Praise God. And notice this. The greatest thing God gave them was his presence. The Shekinah. Everybody say Shekinah. The Shekinah glory. Shekinah means that which dwells. That which dwells. God dwelt among his people. It was the physical manifestation of the presence of God among the ancient people of Israel for some 40 years. And guess what? I like typology. The Bible has many typical things we have in this text. It says they were our examples. These things were our examples. Do you realize tonight that the pillar of fire and the pillar of, Clyde, uh, pillar of cloud is typical in the Old Testament of the New Testament truth of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you didn't know that. The ministry of the cloud, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire is a type of what we have today in New Testament, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you quickly. First of all, the pillar of cloud was not given until the people had been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. wasn't given before. The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire came afterwards. After what? After the lamb was slain and the, the blood was placed upon the doorpost. And then all of a sudden, after that, after they came through redemption by blood, they came across, baptized into the sea. All of a sudden, God gave them the cloud. In the New Testament sense, it's like this. The cross came first, then the resurrection of the dead, and then Pentecost. Romans says this, Romans 8 and 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You are not in the flesh anymore. In the flesh there means loss. Those who live in the flesh. Those who are dead in sins. You are not in the flesh, but what happens? You're saved. You are in the spirit. Come on. You are in the spirit. The spirit of God. It says here, for if indeed. Now when it says if indeed, that means that's a surety. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he is not his. He does not belong to him. Every child of God, the moment they are saved, have the indwelling spirit of Christ born again. Come on, I'm born again. How about you? John 14, 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. And I'll just reference this for time's sake. John 7, it talked about the Holy Spirit who'd not been given yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He had not yet gone to the cross, died for our sins. The Holy Spirit had not been given that way. Notice the pillar of cloud and fire came after they were delivered out of Egypt. And when we're delivered out of Egypt and our sins are washed away, the Holy Spirit becomes our great companion. Notice also the, the pillar of cloud was a gracious gift to Israel. Notice that no one asked for the cloud. No one in Israel. Moses didn't ask for it. None of the Israelites asked for it. It was simply a gift in the mind of God of mercy and of grace. We notice in the New Testament, it's not the, it's not the apostles who asked for the gift. It's Jesus telling them about the gift. It's Jesus having to impress upon them 
that they, need, they needed to wait in the upper room. They needed to wait because the promise of the Father, he said in, in John again, he said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gracious gift. What a gracious gift going through this howling wilderness. And that gift was always there. That gift of the pillar fire and the pillar cloud. Every day they woke up, it was there. It was there at night. It was there 24 hours a day, whether fire, whether cloud. It was always there. Do you know Holy Spirit is with you? He is a wonderful gift. We need to acknowledge him. We need to acknowledge him because he is a gracious gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful gift it is. And then notice this, that this pillar was a guide to Israel through the wilderness journey. He guided them through. It says in Exodus 13, 21, And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and by night. By day and by night. There it was. It was the Lord. It was his divine Shekinah presence, physical presence, among the people, leading them, guiding them, directing them. Do you know you have a guide through this wilderness? You have a guide. You have someone who said, I will guide you into all truth. You have someone that Psalm says, God said, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. The Lord will guide you. He guided Israel and he will guide you. You have an infallible guide. You have a guide that never gets it wrong. I've, I've done some of this GPS stuff, and I'm going to tell you, sometimes they're not right. I've thought, this is, they, I, they've taken me to the wrong address sometimes. Has that happened to you? I, like, I punched it in, and I thought, I'm not in the right place. Friend, let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit always gets it right. He, listen, the Bible says you're sealed under the day of redemption. You allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. One day you're going you're to bust through the gates of glory. You're going to walk on the streets of gold. That's where he's leading you. He's, he always gets it right. Come on, he always gets it right. The Holy Spirit will lead us to repentance. He'll lead us to the cross. He'll lead us to blessing. He'll lead us to grace. He'll lead us to usefulness. He always gets it right. He led them day and night. Faithful guide. Come on, pillar. This pillar also says in the text here, it gave them light and it gave them direction by day, by night. By night, by day, it would comfort them, provide protection from the scorching wilderness sun. At night, it would give them light. It would give them warmth in that cold desert setting. Numbers 9.21, so it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, they journeyed, whether by day, whether by night, whether whatever the cloud, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. It was with them to give them light, to give them direction, to give them warmth, to give them comfort. The Holy Spirit can comfort you. When the scorching sun of trial is coming down upon you, the Holy Spirit can comfort you. In those chilly moments when you're going through difficulty, the Holy Spirit can warm you with his fire. 
He's, a, he's the pillar, a type of the pillar. He will teach us. Now notice that the pillar was light to the people of God, but it was darkness to the Egyptians. Exodus says this. Listen, Exodus 14, 20. So it, it, came, bet, it came between the pillar. It came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud it was a cloud and darkness to one, the Egyptian, and it gave light to the other, Israel, so that to the one, uh, so that the one did not come near the other all night long. So to the Egyptians, it was darkness. But to the people of God, it was light. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The same pillar, but one side of it gave darkness to those Egyptians. But on the other side where God's people were, there was light. Can I tell you this? That God, that when, when we are children of God, we have light. We understand this book right here. But to lost people, they look at this book. I don't, listen, I don't care if they have a Ph.D., this PhD will not help you understand this book. Only the Holy Spirit will help you understand this book. To, uh, to some, now, they may understand. They may look at it with a carnal mind. They may look at it, but it's a muddle. It's confusion. They don't see its glory. They don't see it's important. I mean, you could have some lost professor in some liberal college teaching religion that's not saved. It's, he knows the facts, but he doesn't know the author. He doesn't know the meaning. He doesn't know the riches of it. He do, it hasn't been revealed to him. Only the born-again heart and, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit do we have light. Listen, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. It says, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, whose minds the God of this age is blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who, shine, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It was light to them. Light to the people of God. Also notice this, that God spoke from the pillar. Notice Psalm 99 verse 7. And he spoke to them. Notice he spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. God spoke from this pillar. They kept his testimonies and ordinances that he gave them. Exodus 33, 9. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle. Notice the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. Do you know the Holy Spirit will talk with us? He's talking with us every time we read the Word of God. Every time we open this Spirit-filled book, this Spirit-given book, I want you to know God speaks out of this book right here. This is the book that is God's Word. These are the very supernatural words of God. And when a minister gets up and proclaims the Word of God, we are hearing God through the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. God speaks to His people. He can speak to your heart. He can speak through the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, Tongues interpretation, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Those are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's God communicating with his people. God spoke from the pillar. Glory to God. God's telling you this, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits. We are the children of God. I have never, ever doubted my salvation. I'm telling you, I have never doubted that I was saved. It never even crossed my mind that I was not saved. I know there was a time I wasn't saved, but I'm telling you the moment I got saved, when I got filled with his spirit, 
When I was converted, I have never doubted my salvation. Why? Because I have someone on the inside that says, Abba, Father. I have someone on the inside. See, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I know he's Lord. I know he's Savior. I know he's King. On the inside, I have this comfort. I know that I know him. Why? Because I have the witness of the Spirit. First John 3.24, this is a great verse. First John 3.24, now he who keeps his commands abides in him, and, and he in him, and by this we know. So everybody said that, by this we know. Now notice this, by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Where does the assurance of salvation come? Not some preacher trying to convince you that you're saved. The assurance of salvation, according to the Word of God, comes from none other than the Holy Spirit within us. And that's why I have never doubted my salvation, because the Holy Spirit lives in me and you, in you and I. Thank you, Lord. Come on, amen. I'm more excited about this than you are, I'm telling you. Now think about this. When Israel went through the Old Testament, or went through the wilderness... It says that that cloud, that pillar, that fire was never taken away. Nehemiah 9 and 10 bears witness. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. The, the, the pillar it never left them. What is New Testament? I will never leave you. To the believer, listen, no matter how much we stumble, no matter how many times you stumble, as long as you have faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He will ne say, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And in John 6, 14, 16, and I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. When everybody's forsaken you, when all everything seems like it's gone south, I want you to know you have someone in your corner. It's the Holy Spirit. He will abide with you forever. He's with you and he's for you. Just think about this. Think about the blessing that Paul mentions in this text, the blessing of God's presence, God's provision, God, God meeting their need, God overlooking many of their faults and sins and forgiving them. Could have but God blessed them. But notice the second thing I want you to see in verse 4. Verse 4, and all drank of the same spiritual drink. Now, what does that mean, spiritual drink? That means it came from God. For they drank the spirit from the, uh, of that spiritual rock that followed them. Say this with me. And that rock was Christ. Who was the rock? It was Christ. Now, many, many scholars believe that this rock followed, followed the people of God, the Israel, around that wilderness for 40 years. You say, Pastor, explain that. I cannot explain it. And I'm glad I can't explain it because God's ways are higher than our ways. But I know this, when you read geographically where this rock was showing up, one, one place is like 200 miles away from another place, and then another place is another 100 miles. Everywhere they went, Christ was there because he was meeting their needs. He was the source. 
of the water. And Moses, God told him, smite the rock. And as he smote that rock, which is a type of Jesus being slain for us on the cross, Jesus suffering on the cross, and Moses struck the rock. And when he struck the rock, we know what happened. That water began to gush out, and it fed millions of people. Millions of people. Do you know that Jesus can meet the needs of every human being on this planet? No matter who they are, Jesus can meet those needs. Whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. Christ has been smitten, and for the whole world, the blood of Christ is for What we see is in this is a pre-incarnate Christ. What the scholars call a theophany, an appearance of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, in the Old Testament, the rock was Christ. In that smitten rock, the water flowed. And that spring was a saving spring. Streams that satisfy hungry hearts. Streams that Isaiah said we draw from the wells with joy. Rivers that redeem us from Christ. Christ is the one that can do it. Rivers that can revive us. Jesus satisfies. He meets needs. Man is thirsty today. And the reason mankind is so thirsty today is because they're drinking of the wrong cisterns. They're drinking of the wrong waters. Israel did this. Israel turned their backs on God. It says in Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out cisterns, which cisterns that broken cisterns that can hold no water. Listen, Jesus is the one that can satisfy the longing of our hearts. The world says you don't need God. The world says you, don't, you, you, you need out there. But you know what you need is we need the rock of ages. We need the one whose riven side was smitten and water flowed from his riven side. The old song, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side, the old, old says, from thy riven side, from thy riven side, I like that old language, from thy wounded side which flowed, be, the sin, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. It's the double cure. God, Jesus' blood is the double cure. You say double cure, what do you mean? It pays, for the, it pays the price of sin and the wrath that was against me. Jesus took, he took the penalty, but it also makes me pure. It can sanctify you. It can, it can cause you to live for God. It can empower you. This old song, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite no? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou, thou must save and thou alone. Amen. Rock of ages, cleft from me. Let me hide myself in thee. So let's look at this last part here. We've looked at the blessing, past blessing on Israel. That's what Paul talked about here. All drank of the water. All were under the cloud. All of them experienced this. And then we looked at, briefly, at the rock, which is Christ. Not only did they get blessing in the past, it was Christ that was ministering to them. But you know, it's Christ that's ministered to you and I. 
we've experienced Christ. We're not experiencing another Christ. We're experiencing the same Christ that Paul had, the same Christ that was a rock for Israel. There's only one Christ. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But notice this. Lastly, we close with this. There's a warning, a warning from the past. Verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Millions of people, we don't know how many, but many multitudes came out of Egypt. They were protected from the death angel. They saw the plagues. They were protected by God. They came across the Red Sea, came into the wilderness. But here it says that during that 40-year journey, God was not pleased with most of them, and most of them perished. What is Paul addressing? Paul is addressing the matter of punishment for sin. Punishment for sin. Many Christians, many Christians, and we should, we should, we think about the attributes of God's love and the attributes of mercy, the attributes of God's patience and kindness. Certainly, we focus on those. But I want you to know that God can also get angry. If we believe this book, do you realize that in the Scripture, it, it refers to God being angry some 73 times in your Bible. Job said it this way, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Proverbs says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. What are some of the things that caused the Lord to be angry at ancient Israel? What, what was the cause of their failure? And I, I think I would capsulize it and I'll list these quickly, but I think I would capsulize it as this. The root of our problem is when our hearts start drifting away from God. That's what the root of it is. Man and even the church world is trying to fix the outside. But the outside is not the problem. Because if you get the inside fixed, you'll get the outside fixed. What God did in New, in, in New Testament, he said to, to the ancient prophets, I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to give them a heart that was a heart of stone. It's going to be a heart of flesh. I'm going to change the heart. And that's the issue. The issue for Israel was the root was the heart departed from the living God. They ceased to honor God. They stopped obeying God. The sins that I'm going to list to you are sins that are still with us today. Let me list them to you, make brief comment, and I'll close. The first, verse 6, he said, they lusted after forbidden things. They lusted after forbidden things. What is that? Here's these people. They came out of Egypt. Listen, look, look at me. There's nothing back there for you. Nothing in the old life for you. When you, listen, when you go through a difficult time, the first thing the enemy starts saying to you, well, I thought it was going to be better serving the Lord. The first thing the enemy is going to say, well, remember back here and back there. See, the enemy will deceive you. It wasn't any good back there. It was lonely nights. It was empty hearts. It was pain. It was emptiness. Well, there's nothing back there for us. But these very foolish Israelites started lusting for Egypt again. Well, they're foolish. They were slaves in Egypt. Isn't it amazing how the enemy will blind us to certain things? 
They were slaves in Egypt, but here they are wanting to go back to that old life. And they, listen to what happened. Here's a, here's a sign that that's happening to you. The Bible says that they got tired of the manna. They said, you know, we got this manna. We had leeks and colics. When, when, you, when you stop hungering after the word of God, when you would rather play video games, when you'd rather watch ESPN, when you'd rather do 10,000 other things in this world, and you got the, the, man, the, the man is stale to you. It's not hot in your heart anymore. It's not, it doesn't cause you to like David. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul longs after you. Then you, are, you and I are just like the Israelites. We're lusting after evil things. And we've ceased to love God with our Corazon, our heart. And then verse 7 said, they worshiped other gods. They worshiped idols. They made an idol. It seems to me as I read the scriptures, the Lord has, he hates idolatry among his people. He has an anger toward idolatry. What's an idol? An idol, basically, we could say it this way, is anything you put before God, anything you love more than God. Sometimes it could be a relationship that becomes an idol. In the New Testament, money is an idol. Covetousness is an idol. People, people covet. I was reading today in Isaiah where it talked about the fast. Is this the fast, he says? Is this the kind of fast? You fast, you go through ritual, you do this and that on the outside, but yet you're extorting people. You're ruining widows' houses. You're, you're doing this, you're doing that. That's not the kind of fast. An idol is something that you put before God. How many Christians today in our modern Christianity, they have 10,000 things that they put before God. We have, a, we have a church world today that they can't even make it one day out of sevens consistently. They're full of idolatry. We're no different in the modern church than Israel. We're full of idolatry. And the Bible says here, they worship those gods. Anything that has your time, your talent, your affections, anything that you spend, you spend tons of money on before God, that's your idol, friend. It's an idol. Verse 8 says, now this is definitely with us today. They indulge in sexual immorality. Let me tell you, you can't hide anything from God. Scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. Everything is naked and open before the God of whom we have to do. Our God can see everything. We can't hide anything from God. We can't have some kind of secret life. And then think that we're going to proclaim his name and worship his name and be a part of his work. You can't have some secret immoral life and think that God's going to wink at that. No, the Bible, the Bible didn't say, be sure everybody will find out your sin. It said, be sure your sin will find you out. You can't sin in secret and have open success in your life. Look at the sin. They indulge in sexual immorality. Verse 10, they murmured. They murmured. They complained. They murmured against Moses, murmured against Aaron, and, and, and worse, they murmured against God. They complained at the way God led them. 
They complained. They were discontented. They didn't like the manna. When a professing Christian begins to murmur against God, against God's servants, criticize, fault find, I can tell you that person's heart is away from God. And God was angry with old Israel. He was angry. And the Lord said, everyone who's 20 years old and up will perish in this wilderness. They will not enter the promised land. They're full of disobedience. They're full of unbelief. To much is given, listen, to much is given, much is required. I mean, they saw, the, they saw the manifest presence of God. They saw the pillar. They saw the fire. They saw all of this happen. They experienced supernatural provision, supernatural care, supernatural presence. And yet when it came time to say, go in and take the land, they reverted back to their old nature of unbelief. And they perished in the wilderness. It says in the text again that God was not well pleased in most of them. And so for 40 years, it was a death march, a funeral march. It's been calculated that at a rate of 40 years, there was one funeral every 30 seconds. It was one long funeral march. But think about this. There were two men out of those multitudes. Do you know men of faith and faithfulness is a rare gem in the church? It's a rare gem a rare gem of those who have the grit to stay true to God and be faithful to God and say, we are well able to do this. And those two men, you can't name the ten spies, not one of them. I can, I've read the Bible through many, many times. I, cannot, to, I, don't, I guess God blinds us to that. I can't name any of the ten spies, but I can name the two, and so can you. What are their names? Joshua and Caleb. Don't you want to be Joshua and Caleb? The Bible says they wholly followed the Lord. They wholly followed God. May Trinity Life Church wholly follow God and trust Him. Whatever comes, whatever mountain we have to face, our God is well able to do it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah to God. I want you to stand as I'm about to dismiss you. The Apostle Paul reminds us in this text of Scripture that doubt, disbelief, and disobedience can lead to us being a castaway. Paul says in Hebrews 3 and 12, listen to these sobering words. Beware, brethren, lest there be any, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another to da daily as it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, Hebrews 3, 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief.
Opportunities for reaping God's blessings can be lost when we turn our hearts away from fully following the Lord. Our Father and our God, we ask in the holy and precious name of Jesus, our Lord, soften our hearts, O oh God. Help us to be true to you in all ways and at all times, O oh God. Father, I ask that you would stir hearts in this place this evening. Lord, if anyone in this room, since their heart is becoming hardened, skeptical and unbelieving and doubting, Lord, that right now we would stop and we would turn our face toward Jesus and we would begin to hear his voice and not allow this world, not allow sin, not allow idolatry, not allow immorality, not allow complaining, not allow doubting, not allow worrying to, to, to harden our heart. But Lord, we would just look to Jesus, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, God, we turn to you. We repent of all sin. We pray, God, that we would have all of you. We want all of you. We want to follow you. We want to be the Joshua and Caleb generation. Oh, God, hear our prayers. Hear our cries tonight. Fill us with your presence and grace tonight. Fill us with your grace, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just begin to worship him. Worship him, bless him, glorify him. And turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Sing it again. And turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Oh, Father, tonight as we leave this place, remind us there's nothing more precious than you, nothing this world Nothing in this world, there's nothing we have in this world, nothing that is more precious than you. So, Father, I pray that you would just help us to be full of your grace, full of your presence. And I pray for this body, that verse in the book of Jude, keep yourself in the love of Jesus. Keep yourself. And the love of God, keep yourself in that love. Don't let your love for Jesus diminish. That's the fountainhead. That's the spring. When you love Jesus with all your heart, everything else falls in place. But when our hearts begin to drift from him, then other things begin to crop up. Keep your heart stayed upon him. Keep your heart tender. Keep submitted and yielded to him. For he is fairer than 10,000 to our soul. And so, Lord, we commit your people into your hands. 
Give us mercy. Give us love. Bring us back Sunday as we worship again in this holy place. And Lord, we add this, Father, as we get ready for Easter, as we get ready for our tent meeting, as we get ready for advancement, we pray, God, that you would guide the way with the pillar and the fire and the cloud. The Holy Spirit would lead and guide us in that perfect way. And for this we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you tonight as you are dismissed.